Father's Day is a special day, aren't they? I want to pray for our dads before I start. And before I even do that, this is Father's Day. And I tried getting the 8.30 service to agree with me that I think it should be a Father's Day weekend. <laughs> I think we need more time to celebrate, shouldn't we? So would I get any uh, support from this congregation for such a move? All in favour, please say aye. Yeah, a bunch of wusses just like the other congregation. <laughs> um, maybe if your wife is not with you, then I'll ask you some other time. <laughs> it's Father's Day for, um, for many of us, and it might be the, uh, the first Father's Day for some of you. And in fact, in this congregation, our newest father is Philip, Philip Chan. Philip and Rani had their little baby, their little girl on Tuesday. 27th, which is Michael's birthday. So from now on, when you speak to Michael, you can call him Uncle Mikey. <laughs> I think that would be lovely. Uh, they're doing well. I was concerned about Philip. I haven't heard how he did, how he coped through the whole process. <laughs> I have heard that Rani and Carissa are doing fine, but I think Philip has passed out or <laughs> gone in non-communicado or something. Okay. So it's a great time, and this might be the very well your first Father's Day, even though you may have had a child sometime later on in the year. Well, congratulations to you guys. And is it also Grandfather's Day? Father-in-law's Day? So you need a weekend to get all this stuff in. <laughs> We're going to pray. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can be together. We thank you that we are your children and that we can call you our Heavenly Father all because of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for the gift of your spirit and your word and your church. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that indeed you might speak to us today, but especially we pray for our fathers, our grandfathers, um, for special uncles and significant leaders in our lives. And we pray that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them. We thank you for the way that they have influenced us. And for those of us, Father, who sadly don't have that experience, who didn't have a good time growing up, didn't have a good father, I pray for them that you'll help them to forgive and to still uh, love and to reach out to distant fathers. We pray, Lord, especially for those who are separated or divorced and for whom families now are divided. And I pray for those fathers that you'll help them to be wise and loving and very careful uh, in what they say and how they speak, but help them likewise to be still a present example to their children. Heavenly Father, on this day, we not only give you thanks and thanks for fathers, but we bring to you our need that you might speak to us like the fathers did through Proverbs. So, Lord... Here we are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is a father? I had cause to think about that a little bit this week. And you saw, you may have seen, I wrote something in the bulletin for it this week. A father is someone who protects, who provides, who cherishes. Now I did some more thinking about it and fleshed that out just a little bit more. What's a good father? I know many dads who have tried real hard, done their best, and even through that process have come out the other end of it and they feel like they've failed. And all of us, I would imagine, have some area of regret, something that, we, gee, if we had our time again, we'd do it again, we'd do it differently, we'd do it better this time. 
But we don't just have some regrets, we also have many joys and great joys. So what is a good father? A good father knows that his children have one love language and it's spelt T-I-M-E, time. A good father knows that he needs to spend time with his children. A good father is one who is brave when the kids are scared. I spoke about this in the first service. My daughter Kate is scared of spiders and so am I. It's probably in our DNA. <laughs> there was a time she came home and Heather, I, I said I thought it was with you and it was. Uh, Heather and Kate were returned to our house when we were in Hampshire Court. I don't know where Rhonda and I were. Anyway, thanks. And when they came home, there was this dirty, great big spider. I don't know if it's a huntsman or if it was a tri- Tyrannosaurus Rex spider. Or... <laughs> anyway, it was too big and Kate was freaking out and I assume Heather must have been similar. So they went next door to get the guy there to come and kill this spider. Well, he, like me, is scared of spiders. <laughs> And he wasn't coming, was he? And it's when his wife appeared behind him that he suddenly manned up and came in with a <laughs> can of spider-killing spray stuff, which is the only way you should kill spiders, I think, from about 10 feet. <laughs> spray it until it's empty. Of course, there are some of you who think spiders ought not to be killed, that they should be captured and they should be released and taken outside. Some, there are some fools like that. <clears throat> spiders are there to be killed. That's my philosophy, and I don't like spiders. I'm scared of them, but so is my daughter. And so whenever there was a spider in our house, she'd freak, and I mean freak, scream, freak, jump on couches and furniture and stuff, freak. And so that's when I had to man up. That's what a good dad does. He is brave when you're scared. And so I would have to go in and face my fears to kill those tiny little black, (laughs) harmless things who have no right to be in our house. A good dad teaches you teaches you how to treat others, teaches you how to ride the bike, how to throw a ball, how to whatever. A good dad teaches and instructs. And the book of Proverbs is all about that, a father teaching his son, teaching his children. A good father is one who cherishes the child's mother. And I learned that lesson early and I used to say to my kids, don't ever try to come between your mum and me. You should be under no misapprehension. If we're on a boat and the boat is sinking, I'll save her, not you. (laughs) They found great comfort in... (laughs) I said that to my previous church and had someone come to me and they said, what I learned this morning was, don't get in a boat with you. (laughs) Well, not if Rhonda's in the boat, because she's my priority. And that provided some very clear directions, because which parent hasn't had their kids play one off against the other? You go to mum and she says, no, you come to dad, and he says, yes. That's often the way it goes. That, by the way, is what a good dad is. A good dad is somebody who says, oh, come on, mum, let them have it. (laughs) Sometimes that's what a good dad does. A good dad is one who is stronger and taller, at least initially. A good dad is someone who spanked you. And by spanked, I guess I should use the word disciplined you because it may not necessarily be a physical spanking. We'll talk about that this morning. Obviously, when you deserved it, which is never, is it? Children are never thinking they deserve it. A good dad is one who sets the rules. A good dad is one who stays up late or gets up early to see you off or to wait for you to come home. A good dad is one who answers your questions one after the other, after the other, after the other. 
A good dad is one who finally says it's okay to get a puppy or, or, or earrings. A good dad would never allow a child to play with a cat. <laughs> they belong with spiders. A good dad is um, one who lets you braid his hair. It's a challenge. A good dad is one who talked to you about boys and girls and relationships. A good dad is one who paid the bill, who paid the ticket, who paid the fee. And most importantly, a good dad is someone who introduced you to God. That's my fleshing out, thinking about what's a good dad. And that's my list, so that's, that's what I'm like, frankly. It's just incredible. <laughs> well, maybe not all of them. There are a couple of those that I went, hmm which prompted me in my reflections this week to send a text to both of my kids, Shane and Kate, and to ask them, not what was I like as a dad, but what was it like in our house? What was good? What was positive? Any negatives? Uh, tell me both. Both of them replied. My son said, positive. Why are you asking? <laughs> my daughter wrote back, positive. What's going on? <laughs> so Rhonda has raised two very anxious children. <laughs> I said to them, I would talk to them about it later. I said, no, 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 I'm just doing a Father's Day tomorrow and I'm talk talking and I want to talk a little bit about fathers and I just wanted some personal perspective. So that's all I got, positive, doesn't say anything. <laughs> it either means they're dead scared of me and they don't want to tell me anything or well, they haven't got a clue, one or the other. The Word of God certainly encourages fathers. Because this is Father's Day, I'll put the emphasis upon dads. I think the Word of God does too, but not only. Mothers obviously also have a role. Proverbs um, 1 verse 8, in fact, says this is a joint venture. It's listen to the instructions of your father and the words of your mother. And you'll have that a couple of times going through Proverbs. It's this instructions of dad and the teaching from mum. But way back in the beginning, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a passage I refer to when we do parent-child dedications, um, God is instructing Israel through Moses, but he's saying, now these are the commandments, statutes, ordinances that the Lord your God instructed me to teach you so that you can carry them out in the land where you are headed. And so you can fear God, revere him, that you'll keep all of his commandments, you, your children, and your grandchildren. And verse 7, in fact, says that the parents, the leaders, um, are to teach these commandments to your children. You are to speak of them when you sit at home, you know, uh, when you walk along the way, and when you lie down, or even when you get up. Morning, noon, night. Teach, instruct, model, show. God's commandments, God's rules, God's instructions. This is something especially for dads to take responsibility for, but as I've already said, not only. The best thing we can do for our children is introduce them to the Lord Jesus, introduce them to God, that there is only one God, the true and living God, and that he is to be loved with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the best teaching we can give our kids. And rather than just saying it, it's for us to actually model it, that we think that and we behave accordingly. The best thing you can do for your kids beside loving their mother is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to be passionate about him and consistent because kids can pick phoniness very easily 
And the reality is that we can fake it publicly. We can pretend to be passionate at church. We can pretend to be religious or a Christian or godly at work. You can pretend, but at home. That's when you know the pretense comes off. That's where the real you is shown. That's where people see the reality. And none of us are perfect. And the kids know that. They just want to know what we do with it in terms of honesty. So the book of Proverbs has lots of teaching and instructions about us. And like I said before, there are many dads who have tried, tried their best, and who may have failed. Their kids may not have come through. They may not be walking with the Lord for whatever choices or things they have. These dads have some regrets about that. And there's not a lot we can do about it, except to be honest and to pray and to hope. I've picked this morning, over the next three weeks, we're going to focus on Proverbs again. And then on the fourth week, we're going to take a slightly different tack before David comes back to talk to us about the Gospel of John. On the fourth week from today, we're going to talk about New Testament prophecy. So I'll do some study and research on that. And it's about what does the New Testament teach about prophecy? What does it teach about discerning and evaluating? And so you might want to pray and read up on that as well. And we can talk about it on that Sunday. This morning is about relationships. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say to us about how to live in this world. It's a dad telling his kids, here are the things to be aware of. And he talks about marriage, he talks about parenting, and he talks about friends. And they're the three I'm going to talk about this morning, just quickly. But the book of Proverbs, the teacher of Proverbs, is also teaching us about um, there are different sorts of people in the world. There are God-fearers and there are God-haters. And there are people who are friendly but who can be dangerous. So even in chapter 1, he talks about not being enticed by the words of a sinner. Be careful of the people you choose to let influence your life. It all comes down to a choice. So let's go through those three just quickly. Um, Firstly, marriage. It's a challenge. Marriage is a relationship of two sinners who are living very close together. And God has designed marriage in order for us to become better followers of Jesus. God has instituted marriage to be a reflection of Jesus and God's work in the world. So husbands and wives have a huge privilege and a huge responsibility. It's like chopsticks, I think, marriage. It looks easy until you try it. I don't know any marriage that has not had some disagreement, some difficulties, some quarrelling. Why? Because we're sinners. The best marriages, the good marriages, have honest arguments honest disagreements where truth is shared and people might get hurt but they're not harmed and there is healing and restoration Uh, one elderly lady was asked when did the disagreements begin in her marriage and she said it was when he insisted on being included in the wedding photos Hmm. I shouldn't do this but I'm going to Or the husband who came home one day from work found his wife a bit distraught and she's upset because the dog had eaten some some of the food that they were going to have at night. And he consoled her by saying, don't worry, sweetheart, we'll buy another dog. (laughs) Oh, okay, think about it. The Bible, the book of Proverbs, certainly teaches us about marriage, about who to marry, and about what is a good marriage partner like, a good wife, and also what is a bad wife, and so too, vice versa. Not as much about the husband, because this, this, the Bible, and this book in particular, is written in another culture, in another point in time, where it was very patriarchal. 
where the men got taught, where the men went to school, where men were significant. Those days are gone. And the women were simply, what was their role? Well, domestic duties and the best thing a, wife, a woman could do was get married and she'd have significance through her husband. That's what it was like back then. It's not like that now. Thank goodness. Agreed? Hmm. Not everybody. How about that? We live in a very different world where we are far more aware, and I think rightly so, of there's an equality and strength and there are differences. But back in the time of the Bible, so you get this strong emphasis of the father talking to the son. Not only, but primarily. It's nearly all the way through the book of Proverbs. And so what do we find it says about marriage? Well, just to take you to one outstanding passage, the last chapter, 31, which is about a wife who's a remarkable woman. This lady's abilities and character and her godliness is something to be attained for. And he says in verses 10 and 11, who can find a wife of noble character? An excellent wife, who can find? He's not saying you can't. I think he's what he's saying is they're rare. And the challenge is be that one, be like that. For her value is far more than rubies. She's valuable, rare and valuable. Verse 11, the heart of her husband has confidence in her and he has no lack of gain. She, a good wife, is a man's greatest earthly treasure. Amen? She hasn't given you permission to agree with that yet, has she? <laughs> the heart of the husband trusts in her and he lacks no gain. So wives, that's what you are to be like, to strive to do that. Read through chapter 31. And husbands, you are to affirm and to value her as she deserves. That's what a husband is comes from husbandry. It's our responsibility to cultivate and to nurture her, to grow her to her full potential, to develop, encourage her to develop her gifts. She is there to help us and we are there to help her. It's a dance. It's a working together to achieve these purposes. Verse 28 of chapter 31 talks about her children respecting her. Her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband also praises her. Quote, many daughters have done valiantly, but you surpass them all. That's what we should be doing, praising our wives, telling her that she's excel. Think about how your wife excels. And tell her at the table, in front of the kids, affirm her before the family. And if you can't think of anything where your wife is excelling, that she's dipping out, then the responsibility is yours as the dad, as the father, as the husband. Because your responsibility is to grow her, to nurture her, to cause her to excel. So the responsibility still comes back to us, fellas. Uh, this is not a pep talk on marriage. It's a demonstration of the gospel. It's as you understand who God is, that will impact who you are at home, in the real you. Like I said before, we can fake it publicly, but we can't fake it at home. I grew up in a family where... Uh, not a believing family and where their demonstration of love is very different to what I wanted in my family because I know and love God and because I study his word it tells me there are certain things for me ways for me to behave and so that has impacted my family that I have done things with my kids that my parents never did with me and it took me many years I was probably in my I can't remember in my 30s I'm guessing and I might have been a bit older 
where my parents have never said to me, I love you. This is not a deep psychological pouring out session for me, it's just reality. They don't use those words. They never did. Um, and that used to cut me up for a while. I'd always go home and I'd want to hug them and they weren't into that either. Um, so it was no hugging, no words of affirmation like I love you, and so that hurt. And it took me a while, a couple of years, but I did learn that there are different love languages. And that my dad, while he doesn't say, I love you, demonstrates his love. And for him, the way he does that is either through giving gifts or breaking a hand when he shakes it. It's a very firm handshake. That's how he, and I dare say, that's how his father did it to him. And he's just repeating what he had learnt. There was no other model for him. Well, I wasn't happy about that. So I hugged my son and I hugged my daughter all the time. And I scared the life out of my son-in-law when I hugged him. He was... It's interesting. His relationship with his dad. You have a look at that and you go, ah, now I understand. But he's just going to have to man up because I like hugs. And he'll come round. I mean, he's taller than me. Um, Stop, go back on track. So... um, We need to be genuine Christ followers in the home. That's what I'm saying. And men primarily. Ladies, you do as well. But it's Father's Day, so forgive me, but I'm emphasising it for them. But it's true for you as well. We need to be passionate at home in the reality of uh, who God and Jesus is in our life. Proverbs 18 verse 22 says, One who finds a wife finds what is good. That's a great verse. Remember the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, where Adam is in the garden by himself, Eve is not on the scene yet. And God looks at the man by himself and God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. That word, that concept. One who finds a wife finds what is good. That's what the author is referring back to. She is a pleasant gift from the Lord. 19 verse 14. House and wealth you inherit from your parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A good wife is a gift from God, vice versa. Good husbands are a gift from God. But the um, Proverbs also teaches us uh, there are some bad things about some wives. 19 verse 13, a nagging wife is like water going drip, drip, drip. It's true, isn't it, fellas? 21 verse 9, better to live in the corner of an attic than with a crabby woman in a lovely home. I say amen to that. And there's not another... Is there any other man in here who wants to say amen to that? <laughs> Last chance, fathers. 21 verse 19. It's better to live out in the desert than with a nagging, complaining wife. Amen? <laughs> I have one. There's a lot of you I know saying amen under your breath. I know. Mm. And surprisingly, and honestly, because we know it's reversed as well, men can be nags too, can't they? Of course they can. But 26 verse 21 says, men can be contentious as well and overbearing. Even men get into trouble in the book of Proverbs. Um, I guess the summary of it is, the book of Proverbs is telling us every marriage has a divine purpose. Whether you have a wonderful relationship and many of you do, or whether you have a difficult relationship, and some of you do. God still has a purpose in both. 
He is working through marriage to help you come to maturity as a follower of the Lord Jesus. An interesting exercise for you to do, and then I'm going to move on, is to take all of the teaching of what Proverbs says about speaking, about words, and in a couple of weeks we'll come back and talk about those, but to take those verses and to think of it, particularly in the filter of marriage, of how I speak to Rhonda and how she speaks to me, our conversation together. So, for example, uh, chapter 17, verse 9, talks about gossip, now, that he who covers a transgression seeks love, but that he who repeats a matter separates friends. He who covers a transgression seeks love. When something goes wrong and it's of an offence of a certain nature that it doesn't have to be confronted, it can be just absorbed. You can just extend forgiveness and cover it. Multitude of, uh, love covers a multitude of sins, that idea. Whoever covers a transgression seeks love. But whoever repeats it separates friends. Rhonda does something wrong and instead of me burying it, covering it, forgiving and forgetting it, I have to go and repeat it to somebody else to mock her or hurt her or harm her. You're repeating a matter. You're bringing her faults into somebody else's attention. It's none of their business. That's what the author is saying here, um, particularly in friendship relationships. But I'm saying, think about that in context of your own marriage, that we are to be courteous. Uh, that's my phone. That's ringing. I'm sorry. Um, I'll try and ignore it, like all good dads do. <laughs> ignore my daughter. Parenting is the second one I'll talk about, so marriage. Proverbs has a lot to say about husbands and wives and relationships and how we can do it better. Parents. Proverbs has a lot to teach us about being parents and even about how children are to behave towards parents. Chapter 23, verse 25. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. 23, 25. The book of Proverbs talks about in terms of how we relate to our parents but then also how we relate to our children, how our children relate to us, both positively, things to do, and negatively, things to avoid. So the first one, us to our parents. Proverbs will remind us that we are to honour them. And so I am to honour my dad. Um, he's not a believer still, not yet, but I am still to honour him, to respect him because he's my dad, to thank him, not to blame him, but to thank him for all of the good things that he did do, how he provided, how he protected, now, on numerous occasions, he would have tried to direct me in a certain path. But as I said, there was no spiritual input, but on moral things. Um, if your dad has done that, then speak well of that to him and thank him. If your dad's a believer, imitate his faith. But all of us have a responsibility to care for our dads, particularly in their senior years. Proverbs teaches this. Kids, uh, our responsibility then to our kids Three quick verses. We have a responsibility to train them. Chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way they are to go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Train a child in the way to go. And the way to go is to go to heaven. That's where you want them to, to come to know God. But it's our responsibility to train them. How do we train them? Well, by teaching, by modelling, by reminding them. These life-shaping opportunities these years will pass so quickly if you're a young parent you think you've got 20 30 years in front of you to do all this and you think it's a long time well i'm on the other end of that and i look back and it went like this it goes very quickly 
So you need to take the opportunities now, and particularly in the early years, train them. Particularly train them about you being a passionate follower and encourage them to do the same. The best way for you to influence your child for God, for Christ, is to be dedicated yourself. Best thing you can do. Train them. Uh, chapter 4, verses 20 to 22, is just one of many examples where the father is teaching the child. That's what we are to do. We are to instruct my child, pay attention to my words. Listen attentively to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your sight. Guard them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to one's entire body. Pay attention to the words. And so dads and mums, teach your children. Instruct them morning, noon and night. And finally, 22 verse 15, we are to discipline them. Train them, instruct them, discipline them. Um, 22.15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness, immaturity, a tendency to not want to make moral choices. Folly is bound up, it's bound up in the heart of the child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The rod of discipline. Discipline is not an option. It's a must. So listen carefully. Um, I take these scriptures Seriously, and I certainly did when James Dobson had a big impact in teaching me this material. Um, it's like Proverbs 13:24 that he who spares the rod hates his son. To not discipline is not loving. It's in fact the opposite. And then it goes on to say, but he who loves him disciplines diligently. I like that. It really means consistently. James Dodson taught. It's interesting, the Bible says to spare the rod. It's always about a rod, as opposed to, he says, the hand. Now, I'm not sure of what our law says now in our society, but some of you might know, and you can come and help me. I think our law might say the opposite. I think the law says you can use your hand, but you can't use a rod. Whereas James Dodson says, and I think he's correct, the Bible says use the rod because you want to have the discipline in a, an object, not in your hands, because you want your hands to reach out and to love and to caress and to hold. You don't want your hand to be the one to bring the pain or the hurt. Now, there are circumstances where you, you don't have a choice. You don't have the weapon, uh, the rod with you. <laughs> you have to just respond quickly and often a small smack not an abusive thumping or a beating, that's out, that's extreme. But a, a small smack is often, it's dealt with and it's over and done with. And the advantage of putting it in the rod is then it's distance from you. It's something you do, but it's not part of you, if that makes sense. So you say to the child, as I said to my kids growing up, if you do that again, then I'm going to go and get the stick. And they knew what that meant because I had trained them. I don't think I've smacked my kids now. They're, I don't know, I'm guessing, six, seven years of age. I haven't, so they're long overdue. <laughs> because I didn't have to, because in the very early years, I, we had put in place those things, and so it was just our word. Don't make the mistake, so, so many parents make this mistake. Avoid this one. They say, if you do that again, I will do the, if you do that again, I'll go and get the stick. The child does it again. If you do it again, I'll go and get the stick. And they do it again and again and again. What are you actually training your child to do? To ignore you. 
That's what you're training them to do. So what you need to do is train them that when you say something, you're going to do it. So be careful in what you're saying. If you do that again, I'll cut your legs off. <laughs> well, it's probably a bit extreme. Well, don't say stupid things like that. And while I'm on this, I, I could prattle on about this all afternoon. No, I won't. Don't use the ministries of the church to discipline your kids. Don't say to your children, you can't go to youth. If you do that again, you can't go to youth. That's dumb. Come up with some other form of discipline because what you're doing now is impacting them spiritually. And if that's the only leverage you've got, well then, there's some other issues we need to be working through, isn't there? So spare the rod, spoil the child. The rod that we had was a branch that I had cut from a particular uh, plant that we had in the house we're in, in Sydney, which had a lovely whooshing sound. Whoosh! And sometimes all I'd have to do is threaten to get it, go and get it, and just go, whoosh, and that was enough. And I never had to use it. Like I said, six or seven years of age, and I haven't needed that. I mean, I've, we've been close, but with my son, it became simply look at him and dis express disapproval. It was more than enough because I'd already trained him. My daughter, she has a very high pain threshold. It doesn't matter what stick, weapon or club I used. <laughs> it had no impact. But say to my daughter, right, do that again, you'll go to your room. Instant, lining up. Don't socially ostracise her. That works far more effectively. So you've got to find your way. My granddaughter, who is five years of age, has never been smacked in her life. And I just watch what she gets up to, and I just think, gee, I would have smacked her by now. But Shane and Grant have a different discipline policy. They'll work that out themselves. I don't think it matters how you do it. The important thing is that you do it. Hmm. Discipline is not an option. It's a must. And we are all teachers of our children, I think, as I've said. They learn from what, we, from what they see us do and from what they hear us say. I've got to tell you this. A little kid came home from school. He had a, a report card. It was a bad report card. And his dad saw it. And his dad was obviously a little bit upset. And so the son came up to him and the son said, so what do you think it is, Dad? Heredity or environment? <laughs> time to get the stick. That's what time it is. Proverbs 29.17 says that if you do correct your child, it'll bring rest to you and delight to your soul. It'll bring peace and direction, and for them as well. I've got to tell you this story just quickly. James Dobson again. And it, I'm just reminded of it because I saw my granddaughter do exactly this a couple of weeks, a week and a bit ago. Uh, James Dobson took his son to the baseball game one day, and in the process of going to the baseball game, they must somehow be allowed to come down and onto the ground uh, to a certain point, um, but not to run onto the field. And there is this line. And so Dobson takes his little boy down, he must have been about seven or something like that, down, uh, takes him to the line, points to the line, and he says, now, if we get separated or if, you know, in the crowd coming down, when you get to this point, do not, under any circumstances, never, ever go past that line. Understand? Yep. They go back up, they sit down, and in the process of the match, the game, anyway, the little kid gets up. He finds himself going down the stairs and out onto the field, out to the, where that line is. He gets to where the line is and he turns around and he gets eye contact with his dad. So his dad's watching him. And he can see his dad's watching him. And he does this. <laughs> Steps over the line. Now Dobson very correctly reflects, what was he doing? He's challenging. He's questioning my word. 
And he's now asking, what are you going to do about it? You said, don't. Well, I just did. Now what happens? You see, it's the consistency. Now something has to happen. So you've got to go down and you have to discipline that child. Now I saw Eleanor do that, who was five, who I thought was perfect and sinless. <laughs> whom I know is a wicked, sinful child. She's, my grand, she's like her mother. My, her grandmother, that's what she's like. Well, she's not in the room right now, and don't you tell her I said it. Same thing, it was a doorway, and Shane said, my son said to her, her dad said to her, don't go out the doorway, don't step outside. He turned around, went back into the kitchen or something, and she went over to the doorway, and she was watching him, and she went like this. <laughs> Just pushing the boundaries. We, it's innate in us, isn't it? It's our sinful nature. Wet paint, don't touch. What do we do? So a, parent's, a, a father's job and role is to discipline and to direct and to counsel his children, train them, instruct them, discipline them. The book of Proverbs. And then finally, time is gone, but friends. What does it say? 1824, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend is someone who loves at all times. Proverbs 17, verse 17. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, which implies there is going to be friction, hurt, but not harm. Or Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, yet profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone who can be very honest with us, who can point out to us our weaknesses or the issues or the areas of where we're going wrong. Yeah, a friend. Time is gone. But God t instructs us through the book of Proverbs about marriage, about families, parenting, and about friends, relationships. And we haven't spent much time on that, but I'm going to pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of marriage and families and friends. Lord, help us to represent the Lord Jesus in our homes and to do that together, husbands and wives. Help us to cooperate with your divine purposes in shaping us to be passionate followers of Jesus. I pray, Father, for parents that you will give them uh, wisdom and insight how to train, instruct and discipline the next generation, and help all of us to honour and to respect our parents. And Father, help us to choose wisely and carefully the people who will influence us closely. We thank you most of all that you desire to be our friend through the Lord Jesus. So Lord, we pray that your will will be done in our lives and in our relationships. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with us as we sing our last songs?